Anyway, since we seem to be out of witnesses, I thought I'd drink a little. I'm doing well. Uh, It's Wednesday afternoon. We were doing these things on Friday, and we decided maybe Wednesday's a better day. Uh, At least this week. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, Tyler's drinking uh, whiskey sour. Cheers. Rob's drinking straight Jack Daniels with a cool ice cube making cup thing. That was cool. Nice. Elixir of the gods, as it were. Um, so today we're going to talk about um, how not to share your shit. All right. Locally. Um, more, um, less caustically, how to protect your interests. All right. In the event of a relationship breakdown brought to you by Rob and Tyler. Um, so you wanted to talk about, uh, I guess, what we call domestic contracts, prenuptial agreements, cohabitation yeah, yeah. agreements, anti-nuptial yeah. agreements, basically written agreements that talk about protecting your interests in certain assets from division to some degree in the event of a relationship breakdown, or at least mapping out with some clarity how that division will take place. Is that kind of, do you think that's a fair summary of? Pretty good way of talking about it. I mean, to make it simple, basically you can contract before or even during the relationship but prior to the breakdown or actually even during the breakdown, you can just contract how you want to divide stuff. Uh, but probably the later you get in that relationship or the closer to a breakdown, uh, the more somebody might be incentivized to say, no, I'm not going to contract at this point. Uh, I'd rather rely on the default. And there is a default. The default is uh, the legislation, there's some law out there that talks about how we divide assets in the event of a, a relationship breakdown. And most of the time when we're talking about domestic contracts, we're talking about pre-relationship or pre-cohabitation agreements of some kind, whether it's before marriage or before cohabitation. Because once you're together, the incentive for the other party that may be in a lesser financial position to agree to that is kind of out the window to some degree. Right. Unless you want to throw them out of the house first year into the relationship, which I've told <laughs> clients to do, by the way. You know, the law is a funny thing and it, yeah, it makes, puts us in a tough spot that we got to give some tough advice sometimes. So tell me, um, cause I usually drone on on these things. So I'll right. uh, defer to you today. Um, right. To begin with, um, should everybody have a prenup? What do you think? Yeah, if you have more assets or income than the person that you are going to cohabitate or marry with, uh, yeah, you should have a prenup. If you have less income or less assets and you intend to probably not have more, uh, might not be, yeah, might not be to your benefit. Although you can contract whatever you want. So, so yeah, if you've got some assets and some income, you should definitely be doing it. Or if you think you're going to acquire assets or income, you should be doing it. So if life is going to go the way you want it to go, it's a good idea to have one. All right, so then two questions. What exactly do you need the agreement for? What's the point of it that you're saying, if you have more, you should get an agreement. So what are you trying to do with the agreement? 
So what we're trying to do is we're trying to avoid a legislative outcome, right? So the court or the, the there's legislation, the government has legislation that says, here's what's going to happen when you break down, uh, when your relationship breaks down. And uh, basically the way that works is any income or assets that you've generated during the relationship, uh, it's going to be divisible between the parties uh, and the uh, you know, basic assumption is going to be on a 50-50 split. And there's some reasons we might not do 50-50, but that's kind of the general uh, take on how things work. And so what you might want to do is you might want to say, hold on a second, uh, I've got this great uh, business or RRSP or investment, uh, and I don't want to share half of it. And I don't want to share half of whatever I, whatever it grows, whatever accumulation I get during the relationship. Uh, so if you've got some assets or income, that's why you want to, that's why you want to do it. Yeah. Okay. So you're talking about two things. You're talking about income and assets. So let's differentiate yeah. those. Sure. With the income, your spouse is not necessarily entitled to half or even a portion of your income. Correct? Yeah, not necessarily. So that's kind of the issue about spousal support or alimony. And that's the, maybe that's the other side. Maybe we don't need to investigate that today. That's sort of the other side of it that you can protect yourself or one way or another. You can protect yourself. Yeah. And, and it's probably worth maybe mentioning, and we'll, we'll kind of let that go, but your prenup or your cohab, to the extent that you do have agreements dealing with alimony, they're not necessarily enforceable by a court. Right, yeah. Courts will throw those out for a number of reasons and it happens, yeah, okay. exactly. So yeah. let's concentrate oh. on, I guess, what we call a property agreement. Sure, yeah. So you're saying, okay, I'm coming into a relationship, I've got some stuff, um, what does a typical agreement say about that? What do you what what do you want in that contract? So most typically, what we'll have in those contracts is that each party is going to keep whatever is in their sole name uh, uh, throughout the relationship and when it breaks down, and uh, anything that's in joint names would be equally divisible. So that's probably the most common instruction I'll get to draft one of these things. And so the idea behind it is, okay, you come into the relationship with certain assets. Uh, if that relationship doesn't work out, you'll go out of it with those assets and anything else that you accumulate in your own soul name going forward. And then you know, hey, if you put that in joint names, boom, that's something we're going to share 50-50 or whatever basis you want to agree on. So that's the most typical way, that I, the most typical instruction I get to draft these things. Uh, and sometimes we'll do something different, right? We'll throw in, we'll say, okay, uh, the more wealthy will pay the less wealthy a certain amount upon breakdown. Uh, you know, just so they feel like, oh, they're taken care of if that relationship breaks down as well. So you can do what you want, but that's the most typical instruction I get. Okay. Um, so now let's take the flip side. So um, new, new spouse who's on the lower end of the economic spectrum comes to see you and says, typically the woman, but not necessarily. Um, my, my partner wants me to sign this, giving up any claim in the value of his house or her business. Should I sign it? What do you tell that person? Uh, I think my advice would be, no, don't sign that. Go find somebody else who doesn't want to make you sign it, who's got just as much money. Uh, when it is from sort of an economic standpoint, that would probably be to your advantage. Now, if you want to be in that relationship and you love that person and that's what you're going to do, uh, at least I, I can give the advice and say, you know, here's what you're giving up. Uh, you know, the assumption would be you'd be uh, entitled to half of the growth on that asset throughout the relationship. So if that's what you want to give up, at least you know that's what you're giving up and that's your right to do that. Uh, but that's, that's the right you're going to uh, 
exercise to be in that relationship. And there's people out there who wouldn't probably make you sign that. But I get lots of people who come to see me, of course, who don't have these. And uh, yeah, didn't protect their assets. And, and, and you made a comment about growth. And so I think it's interesting mm -hmm. to differentiate between the value today and the value tomorrow. And I kind of touched on this. So let me be really specific about it. So the way that we typically, uh, the legislation typically will say that assets should be divided is anything accumulated during the relationship would be divided presumptively on a 50-50 basis between the partners when the relationship breaks down. When I say that it's accumulated during the relationship, that includes the growth on assets that existed prior to or as of the date of the relationship. Okay. So, um, so when I do these agreements, you're typically at least protecting the present day value, right? And, and yeah. even if that's all you do, at least you've crystallized an acknowledgement of what that exemption is or that, that part is that you're not going to share. Because right. that's also often an argument because people don't value homes the day they get married. Right. Um, so you fix by agreement. The equity I have in the house is $126,000. And when we leave, I get a $226,000 off the top. So even if the future value is still shareable, that agreement at least protects present value at the date of marriage. And so the now, reason that's valuable is, not, is, is because people will fight over what that value was or whether yeah. there was value at that time, right? Because otherwise it would be exempt. It wouldn't be something that would be shareable between them. But the reason it, that the, you would stipulate that in agreement is because, well, at least then you know what that value is, right? Yeah. Now, how often do you do agreements, and I've done these, where it's not just the value today, but it's the value forever that will not be shared? Yeah, that's, I think most of the time is the instruction I get, yeah. Okay. So I've got a company that currently is worth half a million dollars. If 10 years from now it's worth double that, I don't want to share that asset. That's right, exactly. not an atypical agreement. No, exactly. That would be pretty typical. Okay. Now, do you ever do anything to push back on that for the spouse uh, who's signing? Oh, yeah. So then I talk to the spouse who's signing and say, look, what are you giving up to be in this relationship? Are you giving up a job? Are you giving up your family connections? Are you moving? Uh, you know, is there some sort of economic or emotional loss or, or something? You know, what are you giving up to be in this relationship? And they'll, you know, uh, people are self-interested. They'll come up with things, right? Mm -hmm. uh, they do feel like, yeah, they're giving up something to be in that partnership too. And so then we got to say, well, what's that worth to you? Uh, let's do some pushback and let's put a number in there that that's worth to you or a percent of something that that's worth to you. So at least if you were to leave that relationship and let's say it's a five-year relationship or a 20-year relationship, you leave that relationship as an elderly person, uh, you want to make sure, okay, you're, you're not just living there and not accumulating anything and not having an income or whatever, uh, and you leave with nothing and you're destitute. You want to make sure that you're left with some security too, right? Okay. So the pushback that I've exerted that, that is sometimes negotiable, and I've agreed to it in some cases when I'm acting for the person that's trying to protect their property, mm -hmm. is something like uh, you get zero if this relationship doesn't last more than five years. No increase of value. Okay. From five to 10 years, get 10%. And then, you'd, so you have this kind of rolling scale so that if you get to a point where you've been together 50 years and, and, and you're both in your 80s, 
um, maybe it's not unreasonable at that point, she is going to get half the increased value. And you basically agree to share future value for a lengthy relationship. You know, I've never done that. And I love it. I think that's really interesting. The, the thing that I think uh, the issue that I think it creates is what do you do if the sliding scale is somewhere between a nine and a 10 year mark and they're at nine and a half and the relationship's intolerable and there's been some sort of violence or something. Yeah. Someone made to, oh, okay, well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make sure this thing lasts or does that push someone over the edge and say, I gotta make sure this thing ends really quick. Yeah. Uh, that's but, interesting. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you know, they both have the right, right? So mm -hmm. they, you know, they're adults. Okay, I'm in nine years, 363 days, and I'm gonna increase 10% get out right now. Yeah, yeah. Or I'm not going anywhere for three days, right? Exactly. I mean, you can, in theory, you get in that. But to me, it, it's a discussion that's a reasonable discussion because if you're in your 20s and you marry a guy or a girl, and things don't work out for five years, you really haven't lost a lot. Yeah, the potential true. of finding uh, a career again or a better mate or something is uh, a fairly fairly reasonable assumption. And if you're 75 years old and you've been with your spouse for your partner for 50 years, yeah, um, the odds of you recovering from the commitment in that relationship financially is dismal. So That's at right. that point, yeah. I can be a little understanding from the point of view of the property holder, if we'll call it that, that maybe you should be entitled to a little something if we make it that far. And it's always negotiable when that kicks in and how much it kicks in. So that's, well, is that that's, sliding scale, is that something you recommend typically to your clients? I, I would recommend it to uh, uh, the, the person with the weaker financial position. Sure. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah I like that. I'll say, well, first of all, I'll say to you, I wouldn't sign it because this guy, usually it's a guy, is trying to put a dollar on your relationship. And if he really loved you, he wouldn't make you sign the agreement. Right? <laughs> all right. <laughs> now, now, you know, if I'm on for the guy. Totally right, different. If she really loved you, she would just sign it. She's not seeing you as a paycheck. Uh, so, so your advice for your own client is disparate depending on who they are. But but I'll say, you know, you, you're, no, it's not necessarily unreasonable that he won't share the farm with you if you have a five-year relationship. But if it's a 45-year relationship, you've given a lot to that relationship now. And there, now we're going to have to negotiate some recognition, mm -hmm. either by way of alimony or property or both. So that's, yeah. the, that's kind of the quid pro quo. Now, the other thing, you know, and I'm curious what your take on this is, is what you hear is, well, these agreements are just a recipe to ruin a marriage. So talk about that. we shouldn't have these agreements for people that love each other. What do you say to that? As a lawyer? Yeah, as a human being. As a lawyer? As a human being? That's, uh, that's different. All right, so as a lawyer, I say this. I say... Um, these agreements can take the pressure off a relationship. You don't have to worry about protecting your assets. You don't have to worry about what would happen to me if, what would happen to my assets if, what about this inheritance, what about, you don't have to worry about any of that. We can deal with that now, and then you can go live your life, have your holidays, kids, whatever you want to do, takes the pressure off. 
Uh, and that's a uh, maybe a nicer way of looking at these things. Um, yeah, that's a good point. You know what? I've 35 years, I've never thought of that, but I think that's a good point. That's something I'll include in my repertoire a little bit. I like it. Yeah, I like that outlook on, on the agreements for sure. Um, yeah, so I guess that's what I would say. I guess that's kind of what I say. Uh, you know, I mean, it offers security on both sides. Uh, justice is a tough thing. Uh, you don't want to pay a bunch of lawyers a whole bunch of money uh, to break down of the relationship to fight over the assets that are, should be yours anyways, not the lawyers. Uh, so, you know, pay a little bit now, and that's going to be a cheap insurance policy to make sure that things can go smoothly if anything ever happened to the relationship. So that's kind of a benefit. Um, and of course, this, not just the money that you pay to fight, but the stress and the time is horrible. Uh, so there's, yeah, there's some clear benefits to having it for sure. Cool. I don't like the idea of entering into a relationship presupposing that it, it could break down, but, uh, the reality is it can break down and the reality is oftentimes they do break down. So well, the reality it's is it's almost, reality. it's almost even odds, right? That's right. Yeah. Almost even. <laughs> it's almost 50, 50. So, if you know, and, and, and it's funny, that there's a, one of my favorite comedians, Bill Burr, has got a bit where he talks about this. And he says, yeah. if I told you there was a 50% chance that when you jump out of an airplane, that chute wasn't going to open, do you think anyone would go parachuting? No. Not but everybody going into a marriage, there's a 50% chance they're going to lose their shit. And they're just like, okay, no problem. We'll do that, right? Yeah, I love her. Why not? Uh, you know. <laughs> So that's yeah, the uh, that's the reality of that. Um, so that's what I say is, well, it's, you know, she says it's going to ruin her relationship. Well, there's a fifty percent chance you're going to get divorced anyway. Yeah. Right. And so better an ounce of prevention than a pound of cure at the back end. Yeah, that's um, a good way of putting it. Yeah. Now, are there ever, and and I'd be curious to this because I've done this. Are there ever times that you insist virtually that a client get a prenup? and tell them to insist with their spouse. Yes, yeah, definitely. So A, repeat clients, uh, you know, if they've seen me a time or two, let's get a prenup in place. Let's not fight about spousal support or, or property ever again. Let's just get that in place. So if you're a repeat client, yeah, I'm gonna tell you, you better get that in place for anybody else who's moving in or out of your house, you're moving in out of someone else's house. Uh, yeah, if you've got some particular wealth or wealth coming, um, yeah. And so they tell you, um, yeah, I drafted the cohab agreement and my wife and her child of a previous relationship has already been living with me for a year. She refuses to sign it. What do I do? One year? Yeah. Yeah. She's got to move out. Yeah. yeah do you tell the client that? Yes. And do they yeah, that, No. 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 But they come back. I make a lot of money off of them. Yeah. I've had two or three files where, where the, two of them, I think, were farms and one was a business. And I said, you need to, you need to tell her she has to leave. I yeah, had one sucks. client do it, actually. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Um, I had one specific client that didn't, and then came back to see me ten years later and said, "Should listen to you." Um, you know, the problem is, uh, well, you know, we haven't even touched on this, but in that case, she had a child of a previous relationship. 
Yeah. Well, within a year or two, you're what's called in local parentis, which means now you have a support obligation for her child, even if it's not yours. And so even not if only, the bio dad is paying her yeah, bio mom. So not only do you have the issue that now she's going to share in the increased value of your business, but you've got a potential child support on your hands for someone else's child. Which you um, may or may not get to see. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and the ones I really lean on, you know, and I've written on some papers uh, for some periodicals. If you have a farm or ranch and you're going into a marriage and you own land, do not go ahead with that relationship without a prenup. Like yeah. it, it's virtually, you can't do it. And the reason more than any other business, in my opinion, is when you value farms and ranches, they never cash flow. They never cash flow. Maybe, maybe if they have a significant contract, you know, yeah, yeah, but, yeah. but your general, you know, grain farmer, mm-hmm. rancher, their, their land is worth more if it's liquidated than as a business enterprise. And the and problem with that is the increased value of the land, if you have to share that with your spouse or your partner, um, you may not be able to borrow money to pay that out, which means you're actually going to lose that dirt you had before you met her. You got to sell it. Yeah. You got to sell it. And mm-hmm. that, and if your farm is struggling a little bit and they do from time to time, you basically lose your business because yeah. you didn't insist on protecting your land base. So those are the ones where I get very direct with my clients and say, look, dude, you can't, you can't, you know, you can't risk this. There's a 50% chance this thing won't work out. That's just the reality. And there's a high probability your land's going up in value. Mm -hmm. And you may not be able to bore your way out of a settlement. And so you could end up losing the farm. So if she doesn't want to sign it, go find another partner. Yeah, that's a tough piece of advice to give. Uh, but the truth is, that's that's our system. That's how it works, and that's the advice that's we it. have to give sometimes. That's it. Yeah, yeah. So now we're going to shift gears a little bit. So we talk about agreements. That's what you want to talk about. I hey. want to talk about something very similar, but it's about hey. exemptions. Oh, I see. And we sort of touched on that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it shouldn't take too long, but I think it's important. Um, exemptions are things you don't have to share when you don't have an agreement. So under Alberta property law, now the Family Law Act, or the Family Property Act. Property Act, yeah. um, The presumption is everything you have is this pile of crap and you cut it down the middle and share it 50-50. That's the presumption. Yeah. But there's certain things you get to take out of that pile off the top before you split it. And those things are the value of the asset at the date of the commencement of the relationship, not the present value, but the value then, mm-hmm. as long as you can trace it to something you have now. Mm-hmm. So if you have $50,000 in a bank and you spend it on your honeymoon, it's gone. If you have $50,000 in the bank and it's still there 20 years from now, that's exempt. Take it off the top. $50,000 in the bank, you put it into a new house in your name alone, and we'll touch on that. 50000 off the top of the house is yours alone. The other class of exemption, inheritances or gifts. During the relationship, mom dies, dad gives you a gift. To you alone, 
the value of that at the date you get it is exempt. You don't have to share it later. Mm -hmm. um, as long as you can trace it to an asset. Thirdly, proceeds of an uh, insurance settlement or lawsuit, not relating to loss of property, typically an injury. Uh, those funds as well, exempt. You can trace it to something up to date. Now, the one thing that, that I really wanted to talk about because I, I keep seeing this and it irritates the shit out of me. Um, you, you, you get married, you have a house before you get married. It's got equity in it, $50,000. And your wife wants a new house and you say, okay, let's go buy another house. And you go to your idiot real estate lawyer, not Alan Denbach, because he knows better. Yeah, he does know better. But you go to your idiot real estate lawyer on the new purchase and the mortgage instructions come through and they're in the joint names of the husband and the wife. And the husband and the wife look at the lawyer who's the realtor, oh. state lawyer, and they say, it's stressing me out. What's the difference between joint title or, you know, what does joint title mean? And the idiot real estate lawyer says, well, that just means there's a right of survivorship so that if one of you dies, the other person gets the house. Okay. And they sign it. And then what happens is 20 years later, they get divorced and they come to see me and the husband says, oh, well, I have $50,000 in my house the day I got married, but then we sold it and bought a new house. And I go, did you put that in joint names? And they go, yes. I say, you just lost half your exemption. There's a case called Harrower in Alberta, Court of Appeal. Mm -hmm. This says there's a presumption of gift. You lose half. And they go, but my realtor lawyer, my real estate lawyer never told me that. And I say, now you need to sue your real estate lawyer because he's an idiot. And he should that. know this. And it's I, very basic. I hate, I hate telling a client they have to sue a lawyer, but that's probably the number one recommendation. That, that's the number one time that I have to tell my client. Oh, it drives me crazy. Yeah, that's a right? huge problem. And it is uncomfortable. I've done these, you know, because I also, I used to do a shitload of real estate and I still do a little bit. So people come in to you and they, you know, they're, they want to sign the agreement. They're buying the new house and they're all excited. And they're excited and happy and they're a couple and they're going to have a kid. And, and I so say happy. to the parties where did the uh, down payment come from and sometimes it's oh well I sold my house and that money came from it oh did you have this before you were together yes okay well this is awkward because I'm acting for both of you and so I'm in a conflict uh, but uh, is that a home phone you have a home phone yes that's so weird I've never had a home phone yeah it's the phone that is used for uh, telemarketers, surveys, telemarketers, scams. <laughs> yeah, right. I've never had a home phone. Well, when I was a kid, my parents did. I never, I never had that. Yeah, well, I'm a little anyway. older than you. So anyway, um, where was I? You were saying, uh, oh yeah, yeah. The, the, I so, represent both of you, but yeah, it's awkward. But, and I got to tell you. Here's the reality. The, the effect of putting this in joint names is uh, the person with the exemption is going to lose half their exemption unless the two of you affirm that that's not your intention. And specifically, unless the exemption holder asserts that is not his intention. Exactly. And so I've actually had uh, done, I've done uh, short little agreements where I've sent the non-exemption holder and the exemption holder out for independent legal and a simple contract saying, it is not my intention to lose my exemption but I'm very happy about the uh, right of survivorship. Yeah, okay, that's good, yeah. Right? So if I die, so my wife gets the house, but if we divorce, 
my full exemption is still here. Yeah. Now the reality is she doesn't even have to agree to it, right? So if she goes, I'm not signing that. Well, you sign an affirmative declaration that the reason I'm putting in this in joint names is solely for state planning purposes and is not to release my exemption. Probably, in my opinion, that would hold up. But you need to do something like that. And the person doing the real estate transaction needs to advise that that's the effect of putting something in joint names. Um, and I think the law society has kind of come down on real estate lawyers a little bit or, or not come down on, but they've sort of provided a little bit of guidance uh, last year about make sure yeah. you know where that source is, the source of the down payment is coming from. And they were doing it uh, as an aspect of fraud prevention. But the truth is that now all of a sudden, maybe these real estate lawyers get the idea, oh, okay, yeah, maybe there's some exemption issues. Yeah. So, now, the other weird yeah. one is, well, the down payment's a gift from my parents. Oh, who did they gift the money to? And is that a gift you? to you or a gift to the oh. two of you? Right? And that makes for an interesting conversation. Yeah, if it's I a gift, a... If it's a gift to me, I say, well, you need to get a gift letter from your parents affirming that intent. Yeah. <clears throat> because if things don't work out 20 years from now, them coming to court saying, well, I only intended to give this to my daughter isn't going to carry any weight. And I've actually run that trial and had the judge shake his head and go, yeah, good, good effort. In the absence of some confirmation in writing at the time, uh, the house is in joint names. I presume that the gift was intended to be joint. I had a hearing scheduled. I don't know if it was a summary trial or a trial, but I had some sort of hearing scheduled and that was the issue. And the other side produced uh, a wedding card, like a card from the wedding as a gift. And it was addressed to both of them with yeah. a gift inside. And that was it. I was like, all right, give it up. That's yeah. not worth fighting over. <laughs> well, I, got, I got a file right now with, with uh, another lawyer that they're trying to say there was a gift to the husband alone uh, by virtue of a sale for much less than market value. The problem is the sale agreement was with the husband and the wife jointly. That's a problem. That's a big problem. So I'll, I'll run that to trial all day long. Uh, but anyway, so exemptions are those things that we talked about the value at that day not the increased value that's subject to being shared but if you want to protect your exemption you got to trace it so i've had cases where i had one really you know it was really unfair but this is what happened the wife had 50 grand and the husband had 50 grand she spent all her money on the marriage and he spent the money on the new house so the 50,000 is you know, placemats and dinners and drinks at the wedding ceremony. And his 50,000 was still protected in the new house, or at least half of it was. Um, so you got to be aware of how exemptions work. You have to trace them. If they get into joint names, you're going to lose half of them. Um, you know, and it's, uh, it's something worth thinking about. And if your parents want to give you a gift, make sure it's a gift to you alone. And my advice is, even if you think the husband or the wife are the salt of the earth, make it a gift to your kid because there's a 43% chance things aren't going to work out and you're going to kick yourself in the ass if you didn't call that a gift to your daughter or your son. Yeah. It doesn't take you much to say, no, this is an advance on my daughter's inheritance or my son's inheritance and it's intended to be gifted to them alone, even though I know it's going to go into a joint house. Or better yet, a house in their name alone, but right. there it is. <laughs> 
Um, the other thing I've told people to do, which is similar, but not exactly the same, is instead of giving your child uh, down payment, loan it to them with interest, payable on demand. And then what happens is you, you loan your daughter $50,000 plus interest at 7% per annum, due on demand. Yeah. If the marriage works out fine, you can forgive that 30 years from now or in your will. If it doesn't work out, well, before the husband gets his chunk of the half, they got to pay you up your 50 grand plus the interest. Um, and that's another way to kind of protect your child's share of equity in a home. Yeah, that's not bad. Now, it's got to be commercially reasonable. So if you called the interest 132% per annum, uh, yeah, it's probably not going to, it's criminal, first of all, but. I was going to say, there's also some criminal issues there, it, yeah. It's not going to work, but if it's, you know, it's somewhere between a credit card and a commercial bank rate, um, you know, and I'll use numbers like seven or 8%. Yeah. Uh, it's not just the 50 grand, but 50 grand over 10 years at 8%, it's a chunk of money. That's right. You're going to be able to carve off and then you can always gift that back to your daughter or your son later. So those are a couple of things you can do. Yeah. And it's a little cynical. All the stuff we're talking about is, is a little bit cynical, but um, particularly this is, for, you know, talking about farms, um, they can be soul crushing business ending, you know, results if you don't take some affirmative step to protect yourself. Um, and you know, this is coming from, it's cynical, but this coming from two guys who see a wide array of uh, people coming into their office. I got people coming in saying, I knew on my honeymoon that this was a mistake and we were going to break up. I got yeah. people who say, I've been married for 40, 50 years sometimes. Uh, we just bought a house together or we are just selling a house and are about to buy a new property and relocate and go on a holiday that we have planned. I didn't see this coming at all. So it might sound cynical, and it is cynical, but that's, I guess, the point, because that's yeah. what we see, so that's the advice we give. Yeah, and the courts, you know, um, they uh, are unpredictable, uns unclear, uncertain, but the law is relatively generous Yeah. in terms of alimony and, and division of assets, so you got to protect yourself a little bit. So that's the rule for today, right? It's like uh, buying house insurance. Nobody thinks like, their house is going to burn down until it burns down. Here's the difference, though. I charge, what do we charge for a separation agreement? I mean, we charge very little, really, yeah. comparatively. Call for it a couple grand. Yeah, call it a couple grand. An insurance policy, you're going to pay two, three hundred bucks a month for almost ever. Uh, man, that's a good investment. Get an agreement. Yeah, think about that. My wife and I are just Holy talking cow. about that. You know, we're paying three hundred and sixty dollars a month house insurance, four thousand dollars a year. Ten years is forty thousand dollars. Yeah, let it burn. What are those books in the background? Uh, what am I? Just let what am it I? burn. You know, fifty-eight years old. None of my houses have burned down. Right? <laughs> if I've been paying house insurance off and on for forty years. Holy shitness, right? Right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> now you still do it, right? Because I'd rather have it and not need it than need it and not have it. But when you go to somebody, you know, particularly a rancher, you know, they're sitting on $5 million with the farmland, ranch land. He's <laughs> like, yeah, you know, you probably should get yourself a prenup. It's going to cost you two or three grand. 
Oh, that's too expensive. Okay. Well, that's now. I'd much rather. Now, here's the only other thing. And and I got to say this. Um, People should understand. You do these agreements, right? And you spend your 2,500 bucks or whatever, two grand. And uh, you get separated 20 years from now. And what happens, Tyler? Does your wife go, oh, okay. Uh, I guess I'll take my uh, 50% of what's left. Is that usually what happens? No, they file a claim and try and negotiate and try and get a little more and a little of that. And they need spousal support, of course. And yeah. What do they say? What do they say? Uh, they say that the deal wasn't fair at the time. They didn't get proper advice or they didn't know what they were getting into or they didn't know how much you were worth or they didn't know how much you were going to be worth. Yeah. So, you know, one of the things you got to do and, and, you know, you got to disclose everything. Right. Yeah, just put it, put your cards. Supreme Court of Canada has yeah. been extremely uh, Very aggressive easy. about that, saying, you know, if there's an argument that your wife didn't know what she was doing, and again, without being sexist, it's usually the wife. Yeah. Um, we may not support the agreement if there's not been full disclosure, if there's been oppression. But even yeah. in the face of that, you know, I've had files. I had one file. We had three agreements. Oh yeah, I remember that. Prenup and two anti-nups. <clears throat> I right? remember that, yeah. And uh oh no, we want to go to trial. <laughs> so here's what happens, yeah, right? That. You bring a summary dismissal application saying, look, not only do I have one agreement, I've got three agreements where she says, This is all I get. And do you think the court's gonna give you a summary judgment saying, No, 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 no. You had this agreement. This doesn't need to go to trial. No. They will almost never do that. So now you're looking at two or three weeks of trial. And what do you say to your client? Can you say to your client, I guarantee you these agreements are going to be upheld? Nope. No. 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 You're going to say, you know what? Family law is, a, is, a, is ultimately a court of equity. And if some judge doesn't like this agreement, doesn't like how you negotiated it, um, they may throw it out. Okay. So does that mean people shouldn't have one? Well, no, because what's going to happen is, um, you know, to use uh, theoretical numbers, uh, clients worth $50 million. If there's no agreement, he's going to pay $25 million. We can get rid of her for $3 million, even though she's only entitled to one and a half under the agreement. Yeah, you pay do. that out. Yeah, you pay it out. You pay her the $3 million, right? Because yeah. you can't take the risk, you can't, there's and that's the trial. Then there's the risk. you know, and, and and so that's kind of the bullshit of it. I mean, isn't it? If you have a reasonable agreement negotiated and you've got independent legal, and part of the thing under the Family Property Act is you have to have a certificate of independent legal advice by a separate lawyer who affirms they've advised you as to all your rights. To me, soon as that shows up, you're done. Now, if you've got some problem with your lawyer. Go ahead and sue your lawyer. Yeah, We got deep pockets. We got insurance for that sort of shit. But the idea that I negotiate a contract that's meaningless almost, that the yeah, court's going to allow okay. uh, my, my former partner to basically extort me using right. the legal process is really, really unfortunate. But that's the reality. So you should know when yeah. you do these agreements, 
what you're doing is reducing the probability of an argument. But even if you do get an argument, you're putting yourself in a better position because you've still got the leverage. Yeah, exactly. Right. The odds are still in your favor, even if they're not 99%, even if they're That's right. 80%. But and, and it's not that it's not, I mean, yeah, okay, there's odds in your favor, but there's also, well, how much would you act? What's, what's going to happen, right? And when you use a 50 million, 25 million, 3 million example, it's like, oh, okay, that, those numbers make sense. I get that. Yeah. 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 So, okay. Um, so what about, uh, and maybe we talk about this next time because maybe we're running out of time, but what about section eight? What about these factors about not sharing equally? That's interesting. People always forget that. People don't talk about it. Sometimes lawyers don't talk about it. Yeah, you know, and the problem is, I don't know if you've looked at that recently, but there's no consistency in the courts right. and how they apply Section 8. So, so Section 8 is when you don't have assets that are presumptively equal. So, for example, increased value of exempt assets. They're not presumptively equal. Right. And so you look at various factors under Section 8 of, of the Act. and You know, but um, is it going to be 40%, 30%, 50%? Who knows? Roll a dice. Yeah, right. <laughs> Roll a dice. Yeah. Um, you know, in some respects, I don't know, are you the husband or the wife? That makes That's a difference. Right. Yeah, it does. Yeah. You know, anyone who says it isn't, they're, they're not being honest. Family um, farm, I'm pushing 40, 46%, uh, but. It used to be, it used to be, you know, the courts understood, well, look, the dirt went up in value that he owned the day you got married. You didn't make it go up in value. So why should you give 50%? Yeah. How about an RSP, the growth on an RSP that's yeah. individually owned and not contributed yeah, what, what, to during the relationship? Right. But, you know, um, you know you're, you're in, in my experience, you're still looking at 40% on a best day. It, Unless there's yeah. something really sort of despicable about your spouse. <clears throat> Right. Okay. But first of all, are they a man? If they're a man, uh, you're closer to the 40%. If yeah. they're a despicable man, maybe 30%, maybe less, depending on how shitty they are, right? Um, <laughs> you know, so the, there are some factors, but uh, very hard to predict what the distribution yeah. of future value or increased value on, a, on an exempt asset is going to be. More often than not, it's going to look something like 50%. Yeah, 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 yeah. But not necessarily. Um, I, I negotiated a farm agreement not too long ago. We're just finalizing it now. Um, where we ended up at about 40, 45%. You know, okay, and, yeah. and to me, you know, reasonable enough. Yeah. Uh, could have been worse. Totally. So that's our spiel today. Um, and unlike most days, this is not a Friday, so we're still working. I'm in what's called a judicial dispute resolution tomorrow morning. Justice Nixon, I think. Uh, oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, so it should be interesting with Aaron Reinhardt. No idea yeah, what's going right. to happen. Just a bizarre. I like Aaron. I hope Aaron listens. I like Aaron. He's, uh, he's a little different. He is a little to himself. I don't know. I like him. He's a great guy. Don't Enjoy like him too much. I'll try not to. I uh, like everybody though. Yeah, so we'll see what happens. We're doing a Zoom JDR. I'm not sure how that's going to work out. That's cool. And yeah. I bought an extension cord for my camera so I can mount it on the TV in my office. Uh, uh, we'll see how that works out. Yeah. All right. If it works out, we'll maybe we'll do a podcast uh, 
in the same office sometime. That'd be fun, yeah. That'd be cool. So we yell at uh, each other. And... <laughs> yeah, sure. I've got uh, I've got provincial court tomorrow morning. I very rarely end up in provincial court, but I'm in provincial court tomorrow morning. I think they're gonna phone me on my cell phone. They know my cell phone numbers. Or so. what? Uh, I need to adjourn something. Why can't you just call it in, Tyler? I did, so I phoned, and they said, "No, no, no, you gotta show up." I know, right? Well, you gotta we gotta phone you in the morning. You gotta tell the judge. There, see, the provincial court's a court of record. You can't just do something. You gotta make hey, sure there's QB a now. in a courtroom. Queen's bench. Last yeah, I week, know. I had an application yeah. Tuesday. Friday, we resolved it. Settled. Call the clerk. Say, yeah, we got this application coming on Tuesday. Everybody's good. You can take it off the list. Nope. <laughs> so three lawyers, one in Lethbridge, one in Edmonton. Oh, no. Or two yeah, in yeah. Lethbridge, one in Edmonton. Yeah. We have to dial in 15 minutes early, right? Yeah, you do. Yeah. So you sit here. I did it this morning. You know, yeah, I did your, it this on morning. Your, on your Zoom or your WebEx. Yeah, I told some jokes. And then, you know, it takes them a little while to sort of coordinate everything. So you're kind of hemming and hawing. And a bunch of pictures all over the screen of your fellow lawyers. And then it gets called up. You know, the matter of so-and-so and so-and-so. Mr. Harvey? Yes, sir. It's resolved. can come off the list. Okay. Thank you. Explain to me why that didn't just happen. <laughs> Explain to me why three lawyers build their clients $500 an hour for 20 minutes to half an hour instead of being well, able you to phone stop hijacking our topic. That's not our topic today. It was just, it just never ends. But anyway, all right, I leave that. So, um, have a good time in, uh, prevent you're, you're on zoom tomorrow in provincial court. No, they just phone my cell phone. They just want to chat. Oh, okay. You're uh, well. That's better than Zoom, I guess. So yeah, I'm gonna to go out and hang out with my son and walk around the neighborhood, and I'll just take the calls in. And I will be doing my JDR in the morning. Enjoy. And hopefully, our clients can find resolution. Otherwise, we'll go on a trial, which be an expensive proposition. But anyway, we'll see what happens. So have a good evening. You too. And uh, again, questions, comments. Uh, Put it on the bottom right there yeah. on YouTube. Email them to us. Nobody has. We're offering free legal advice. My billing rate is $500 an hour. I will respond to you for nothing. And nobody takes advantage of it. It's hilarious. Anyway, and Tyler. All right. I'm smarter than that guy. Might as well. Better looking anyway. That was something I can't remember. All right. Bye, everybody. Bye.